This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. How you doing, folks? It's your Monday. Just in case you're taking notes and haven't arrived at that conclusion, because maybe for you this is your Sunday or just a random day off that you get during the week. Ramya Muthan, she's at the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the studio in London, Ontario. Do you think that is the worst? If you have days off, number one, spaced out, but what if you have them during the week? For you, that would drive you insane. Yeah. It's already um, hard enough. I can barely keep track of days and dates and months and stuff. But yeah, my dad, for example, he stopped working a while back. And oftentimes I find myself reminding him what day of the week it is, or I'll casually mention, you know, yeah, and then uh, on Thursdays I'll be da-da-da. And he'll say, Thursday? When's that again? What is today? Tuesday? And he genuinely means it because there's nothing (laughs) to keep track of for him anymore. There's no Monday to Friday routine or Saturday, Sundays equals this. I think when we were growing up as well with family, you have, you know, certain things that you do with your kids maybe on Friday nights, Saturday mornings, that kind of thing. And all of that is just out the window as we get older. So, yeah, I've seen it. It must feel left out of so much. And then the other difficulty I find. Okay, I mean, since I've worked for AMI, I've been lucky enough to be able to work Saturdays and Sundays. Mm -hmm. Then when I started to do, uh, or sorry, be off Saturdays and Sundays. Then when I started to do TV, uh uh-uh, all that went out the window for a number of years when I was doing different things. I could be working on a weekend. I could be off a few days. I I could be working 10 days in a row. Um, We we had to navigate Ah. all that as time went on. And, you know, oh, yeah, you can take those days. Yeah, but uh, okay. But I always used to wonder what it's like, and for those out there, I'm thinking of you, who have to, to be fair, switch your shift. Mm. The one week you're doing 3 to 11 in the afternoon into the evening, the next week you're doing morning 7 to 3, or the week after 11 to 7. That I always think, oh my God, not only does that play havoc with your sleep, but it really must confuse you as well, especially if you're you're coming home on Saturday morning at the end of your week or or whatever. So. Fedora's off to those who do it and not to those who say in October, November, oh, man, I need more vacation days, <laughs> Ramya. Uh, two anyway, different let's, things. Uh, uh, see different what's coming things. up on the program today. We speak with the new host of AMI's podcast roundup, Amy Amanti. She'll be here with us to talk to us about what's going on over there, who will catch us up on all the latest podcasts on the network. We have our independent living chat coming your way today, and Leanne Barda is going to give us all kinds of ways to make our Halloweens more inclusive and accessible for people. Should people living in democracy democracies be educated on how to deal with disagreement and conflict? Danielle McLaughlin asked this question in Hour 2 on Know Your Rights. Stick around. A former Connecticut police officer is suspected of being a serial burglar, committing 30 or more uh, thefts in three states, including the community that he patrolled. 
Former Glastonbury police officer Patrick Hemingway is believed to have targeted safes and cash registers at restaurants and businesses in Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. A newly unsealed warrant cited in multiple news reports says surveillance videos show a suspect possibly resembling the 37-year-old and that he left behind a bag containing a lock-picking toolkit when he resigned from the police department in September. Images of a vehicle resembling one owned by Hemingway's wife were spotted at multiple break-ins. He was charged last month with computer crimes and making a false statement. The judge said more charges were expected. The former officer is being held on a million dollars bond. I'm Julie Walker. Wow. I wonder if leaving the tools behind was the cry for help or just clumsy. I, I it, It's so amazing to me in the day, as we've talked about this very recently, Rum, of cameras everywhere mm-hmm. that anyone, especially someone involved with law enforcement, would even take those chances or be careless enough. I, I guess I would think the skills of the job, knowledge of crime scenes would work in this person's favor. I mean, if they're accusing of being a serial burglar there's probably more going on maybe greed but probably a lot more going on with this individual for yourself we always talk about the things that shake us and make us lose a little confidence would we go to the police and or would we call for help or look at some of the things we've seen in the way of violence stuff that gets put on camera at an incident let alone somebody going around in his own on his own beat let's say outside of his beat committing this kind of crime I I mean, I know there's got to be thieves, liars and so on, working in law enforcement, working at, you know, being being involved with a church and yeah. so many other places. Uh, you, you know, there are people who just aren't quite right. About one way or another. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I guess when I hear, first of all, the, the kind of um, uh, burglary he's taken part in, participated in. Um, I wonder, you know, if leaving the stuff behind is just part of the drill. You hear this a lot about serial killers, right? Like, oh, the, the what they leave behind or the little things. But anyways, it, this is me trying to um, do some investigative uh, mindset myself. like mentality. Yeah, the deducing. But uh, honestly, in general, it's the same thing you hear about, whether it's this or other, you know, more serious and I mean by more serious, I mean more criminal offenses, uh, that people are everywhere or people in any um, kind of business, you will find people who are not doing the right thing, who are not following you know, lawfully or morally or ethically. There's always some kind of dis- discrepancy uh, in the population of people, right? must drive those who are doing the job honestly work hard to kind of keep a good image not tarnish it in any way even raising their voice to someone or being accused of something would drive them crazy it also shows that we need no matter what it is what kind of authority figure or you know legal um law enforcement kind of things we're talking about there still needs to be monitoring there still needs to be yeah all kinds of uh, surveillance or systems to make sure that the people who do have these powers are not just abusing them. Yep, for sure. Folks, we'll wrap on that. And when we return, coming up as we kick this week off on the show, the Windows 11 2023 update was uh, released last month. What's new for news- users? Michael Babcock, he'll be here and he'll let us know after this. crazy here. I'm sorting all my stuff out on this this table. Oh, Rumi, it's making more clinkety-clink noise than I remember. Remember, oh, yeah? there's a microphone on nearby. Oh. oh. 
Oh, wow. Got to be careful. I forget. Yeah, it's sort of like, I don't know what's the lesser of evils. Making noise, doing stuff, trying to get myself set, putting this down, uh, checking this out, typing this out, sending that email on the break or, or what have you, responding, or just simply mute myself and forgetting I'm muted and starting to talk Oops. and nothing. So no, there no. you go. I'll puzzle it out. I'll work on that one and get back to you. Ramya Muthan, she's there at, on main campus in Toronto at the studio. Kelly McDonald here in London, Ontario. In the meantime, let's get to Tech Talks. We haven't had this in a while because we've had so many Mondays off, it seems, with Michael Babcock. App news, device reviews, security advice, and more. It's time to talk tech with me, Michael Babcock. Get your dose of ever-changing technology knowledge right here on Kelly and Rumia. Michael, it's been forever. How are you? I am doing well, and uh, Kelly's uh, dilemmas of talking while still being on mute sounds mm -hmm. like the story of my life sometimes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Always... Then you wonder why you're being ignored. What the heck, guys? Come on. Yeah. I figured they're just deciding it's time to ignore me and move on with their lives, you know. Filtering, filtering. We, we do the whole there you go. talking and you think people can hear you. Uh, especially when we have our meetings, and you're oh yeah, answering a question and you're muted or something like that, and everybody continues talking, and sometimes it falls in line with uh -huh. what you're saying. So you totally go through about a minute and realize they're not hearing me. Yeah. What's going on? Word here? I just said. Oh, <laughs> there is no parallel, well. right? Like with the visual versus tactile of muting and unmuting, unless it's a toggle button that stays toggled, you really don't have that mm -mm. parallel to compare. I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't go back to a microphone without monitoring in my headphones anymore. Yep. If I don't hear myself, I know others no can't idea. hear me. Uh, and so now I can't just go to just straight up headphones. True, 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 true. Uh, but that's not what we want to talk about today, Michael. We want to talk, first of all, about Windows 11 because 2023 update was uh, recently released. So what's new for users? And there I go. I started talking and didn't hear myself. <laughs> Completely not intentional. So one of the big things that is new with uh, Windows 11 in the 2023 update is Copilot. And you have heard me and other tech people talking about Copilot. Mm -hmm. Copilot gives you the ability to prompt your computer and ask questions about information both on your computer and on the web. If you have uh, access to Bing and you've played with the Bing chat feature, this is kind of like Bing chat, but on another level. Um, there's updates coming to Office because Office is separate from Windows. And those updates to Office are going to include the ability to have the computer write an email that sounds like you. And that's going to be based on the Copilot technology. So think of Copilot as your assistant on Windows. Here's another cool thing that uh, I, I discovered, and I did not realize this was coming. So forever, you've been able to change the volume on your Windows computer in multiple different places. And uh, one of the things that you've been able to do, at least since Windows 10, is adjust the volume for applications specifically. But that process has been kind of convoluted to get into that screen. So you can go turn down Chrome or turn up Edge or vice versa, mute whatever applications playing audio you don't want to hear. 
Um, now you can simply use the control windows V for volume keystroke, and that'll pop you into that volume mixer. So you can use your arrow keys to uh, locate the application you want to adjust, tab into that application, and then adjust either the input, output, destination, or volume levels. You also can hide the time and date from the system tray. If that's something for you, I prefer to have it because there are days I'm like, what day is it? Uh, what, what do I got to do today? <laughs> but that is an option if you need more real estate. Also, there's a new home file, uh, home folder opening when you get to file managers uh, in Windows Explorer, which is awesome uh, if you like changes. And a lot of us, myself included, do not. So there's some ways you can get the previous look to your file explorer. But if you open file explorer with Windows key plus E, then you may see something a little bit different. Don't be too jarred. And then lastly, there is uh, the ability to unzip or uncompress multiple different file formats. So dot tar dot rar dot tar dot gz not just zip files so if you're uh needing to uncompress files that's super exciting to have that available that is so handy um you've mentioned system tray i've got a computer where it just disappeared altogether but it's interesting <laughs> what, what, what one chooses to keep there and not have there um again very very personal choice but uh such a a thing that is individual um michael when should i get this update and is there a way to speed up the process yeah so you should have it anytime it should be available right now as an update if it's not available you can go to settings by pressing windows key plus i like indigo and this will put you into the windows settings right there you can locate the update option which is the very last act option in that category and then locate the link that says be among the first to get the latest in windows security updates fixes and improvements and make sure that that is turned on when you turn that on i suggest restarting your computer and then after you're done restarting your computer go back to that update section and have it checked for updates and chances are it'll find that update make it available for you how has your experience been with the update mike I'm not using Copilot because uh, Parallels uh, does not like me pressing Windows key C because Parallels interprets that as Command C or uh, also Control C. So uh, some keystrokes get a little weird wow. in Parallels on the Mac. Uh, but for the most part, I haven't had any issues. And I'm super glad that I found that keystroke to be able to uh, quickly bring up the volume control because it, that's nice. Mm. Uh, on the Mac, I use SoundSource to quickly adjust volume. So I may just use the default volume control on Windows now. I like it, especially that I, I run into the same thing, scrambling, and depending whether I'm using my personal machine or the work machine, it's like, oh, where am I? What do I do here? Michael, what is the copulate feature, and how can we quickly activate it? Yeah, so this is Copilot, and you can quickly oh, activate it. I was wondering that. Yeah, stuck together. All in word. Like, Hold on, that doesn't <laughs> sound right, boy. That's, uh, yeah. yeah. But Windows C will let you activate it. And if that doesn't work for you, you can press your tab key from your desktop and get over to the system uh, taskbar and then press enter on the copilot option to be able to bring that up and uh, know that you may need to toggle your virtual viewer or uh, browse mode on and off in order to get to the edit field. Once you're in that edit field, you simply type your question, hit enter and wait for the response, uh, similar to the Bing chat experience on Edge. Oh, nice. nice. Okay. Uh, so you've also been part of some podcasts recently related to 
windows and making some of these settings and changes of settings. So can you talk about some of the things that you learned on how to make the Windows experience a bit better? Yeah, so one of the biggest podcasts that uh, that we found out uh, while experimenting with this is um, if you press Alt-Tab and you realize that there are several different Microsoft Edge windows, you may want those to go away and, and shrink themselves back into tabs so you don't have to Alt-Tab through all of them. Uh, thanks to Jeff Bishop, and he came on Technically Working and shared with Demasi and I that, and we talked about it on Double Tap. Uh, if you go into your Windows settings, you go down to System, and then you go to Multitasking, there's a combo box that allows you to change the positioning of items and stop them from snapping and being available in your Alt-Tab order. So change that combo box to uh, never make available an alt tab and once you do that then you can use control tab to navigate the different tabs that are open in microsoft edge and they're not in the way while you're trying to alt tab to get to that other application awesome okay sir that's amazing good stuff there uh let's go to your mac os sonoma which is now available publicly what are some changes users can expect You'll have widgets on your desktop, which means quick access to information on the desktop uh, to get those details, and some of them are able to be interacted with. You also have Safari profiles. So if you want your favorites and history for your personal stuff to be separated from work, you can set up a separate work profile. Mm. Everything is completely isolated. It's about time, Safari. Uh, that's been available in Chrome and Edge for quite a while. Uh, there's also an easier screen sharing. Now, the directions I found for this is to make the application you're looking for uh, to share into full screen, and then there should be a share screen. I was never able to find that option, but there is a utility now in Sonoma called screen sharing, which allows you to pick what you want to share your screen to. You can get to that utility by pressing Command Shift U in the Finder and then locating screen sharing and opening it. Okay. Um, I didn't know about the profiles thing in Safari. Well, not in Safari, but in uh, Edge and Chrome, as you said. But it's interesting because you can kind of use all these different ways to keep your search private nowadays, right? That's like one of the options you can do that. Uh, what has your experience been like with this update with Sonoma? It's been pretty stable, except for I've ran into some issues with Safari where uh, sometimes I get stuck into a collections list of links that I've sent to other people or other people have sent to me. <laughs> and the, the text of the web page just goes away. So I have to completely close out of what I'm doing and reopen. That drives me crazy. I did, uh, as of today, hit the hide sidebar in the toolbar. So hopefully that'll stop. But aside from that, it's been fairly stable. Is it just a focus thing? Like your cursor ends yeah. up somewhere? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, well, your cursor ends up somewhere, but then that somewhere ends up hiding the text on the web page. Even oh, if you go annoying. to the splitter bar and expand it, it still just says collection. So, uh, and pressing command grave accent does not take me to mm -mm. the web page. Okay. Can you share us a tip for adding widgets to your desktop on Mac uh, OS Sonoma? Yeah, so if you press VOO, this will take you into your notification center. A uh, quick side note, pressing VOO again will dismiss the notification center. Escape does not. Choose the Edit Widgets button and press VO space on that. Find the widget that you want to add and press mm -hmm. VO shift space to double click on that widget. Uh, or you can use the actions keystroke to be able to go up to the uh, menu. And on that menu, there's an option that says add widget to desktop. I have not found a way to reorganize those widgets uh, as of right now. 
I have yet to be convinced that widgets are mm, good things to have or, you know, something to experiment <laughs> with. I don't know. I just feel like it's a eh, nice to have maybe, but not really essential. Yeah. I think for us, it's a it can be a nightmare in a certain yeah, sense. Like, and just like, what am I going to download like, this just to find out that it's not even accessible as a widget? You know, the experience is completely visual or something. Fingernail, just stuff that I just don't necessarily mm -hmm. get enough, but they're helpful. Yeah, Especially essentially, I'm like, who cares about widgets? But anyways, that's my opinion. Um, if I'm yeah. running Ventura, should I be updating to Sonoma? What's your opinion? Um, maybe I think, uh, having yourself, uh, if, if you, if you want to use widgets, so if you're like Romeo and you don't really find the value in them, maybe not. Uh, but if you do want Is that the also, only reason to upgrade to Sonoma? Well, 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 no, no. The, the other reason had to pick on you there though. But the other reason is if you want those profiles, then it might be worth right, updating. Yeah. Uh, sure. maybe give it a little bit though. So they can get that, that safari issue figured out. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh-huh. Uh, Mike, let's try to slide this one in. Envision had a webinar a couple of weeks ago. What did they announce? Yeah, they announced a uh, accessible QR scanner that will give you some information about QR codes from further away. And now a uh, $150 US dollar um, rental program, I guess you'd call it, because that doesn't expire. So you pay that every month to get access to the glasses, which might make the glasses a little bit more accessible to some if all you want to do is try them out. Can you do a 30-second um, shout out to the Double Tap episode that was released Friday the 13th? Yeah, so Demasi, Jeff, myself, and Sean took over Stephen's show and actually talked tech for 52 <laughs> minutes. And we talked about settings you should make to your Windows or Mac computer when you reset it or when you take your computer out of the box. Oh, good one. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Have a good show. Nice to have Michael back on. See, it feels like a real Monday again. Uh, and Michael Babcock will be joining us next week because he's on Weekly for Tech Talks. As he joins us with his widgets. Coming up next on the program, folks, on our headlines segment with Grant Hardy, we discuss how Vancouver is becoming more and more unaffordable. That's because they don't talk as fast as Edmonton. <laughs> I'll explain that with you after this. fun during the show when you get little items sent to you. Ramya Mutha, Kelly McNall, host of Kelly and Ramya. Thank you wherever you are checking us out around the world on AMI-audio or watching us on TV in Canada via AMI-tv. Uh, Ram, Greg David sent us this little item about the city of Edmonton. A little known fact, because no one did a survey before, but it has been done, that those folks in Edmonton, Alberta, are the fastest speaking mm -hmm. people in any city in Canada, yep. those folks generally, on average, have an average speech speech rate of 211 words per minute. But you noted, Ramya, on the break that the people we know have slowed it right down either so we can understand. Maybe this is something they do with Edmonton people yeah. and they figure, Toronto, Ontario people, let me talk for Ontario people. Maybe they think we, we can't follow, probably can't. Yeah, like uh, we need to do. That's fast. We need to do a lot more digging deep. Like this survey has already done it, but yeah. we need to dig into the findings because just for comparison, the average, they say, like the average speak of uh, like all Canadians uh, and averaging it out is 185 words per minute. So 210 is way above average. And then the slowest speaking city is Toronto and we're at 140 or 245. 
I would love to know the reason. I, I mean, you can always manufacture your own ideas. Of, hey, maybe it's because there's so many <gasps> different languages in Toronto. Yeah. Right? Maybe maybe that's We're talking where, English specifically. 149. Yeah, but but I think if you get in the habit of slowing down your speech or maybe giving directions and things like that, maybe. Mm. I mean, you'd think Toronto would be faster, right? All of yeah, oh, people absolutely. and 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 Just Bay between Street and me everything and like that. My friends, you'd think that we'd pull up the average like Uh yeah, but we, but it's not There's too much slang there. To yeah. Kinda. And also for the um, Edmonton uh, analysis, they broke it down using two sports broadcasts, like sports podcasts. So I'm thinking that mm -hmm. made a huge difference in just oh. who was being. Hey, man, taken. some of our smoothest speaking guests we bring on the show, I'll say it that way, are the sports people, right? True. You know, yes. because you and I love it because we can give them a question. We have three questions. They'll fill up a whole segment. <laughs> speaking of filling up a segment, let's welcome into Talk Headlines, Mr. Grant Hardy. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. We bring him in on Mondays and Wednesdays to do some headline discussion. Lots going on here, and I'm sure, Grant, you have some rebuttal here because... You've got an interesting item to talk about the Vancouver area on. And as I said before the break, maybe because they talk too slow in Vancouver, maybe it's, maybe it's not, you know, they're certainly not up there with the Edmonton folks. Welcome back, sir. Well, thank you. Happy Monday. I'm glad you explained it because I was puzzling at that over the break. What the heck is he talking about? More, less affordable because Edmonton talks fast i'm like i should get this this is probably some sort of inside joke that i'm not so yeah. privy to so thank you for we know he's that. not checking his emails folks you're ignoring poor greg david but you're in for a treat we're gonna get we'll get beth checking into it she'll sort all this out um sir where are we starting should we talk about bc a little bit uh i don't know if i want to now no yes I do. <laughs> um came across this piece in the Georgia Strait, and it talks about something which is pretty interesting. Uh, currently, there is no area in Vancouver that is completely zoned 100% for apartments. And it turns out that there's some interesting and slightly problematic history for why Vancouver has uh, balked so much at zoning for more dense housing, apartment housing. Uh, so it turns out that even though, uh, I mean, Ramya, you you know, like our generation, especially apartments are the norm. Even if we won a million dollars, it is very unlikely to that we would get a big detached home in Vancouver or Toronto. It's just one of those things. Apartment living is the norm. Uh, but it turns out that back in the 1920s, when zoning was introduced to Canada and Point Grey, and then expanded later onto uh, Vancouver, uh, Point Grey used to be a separate municipality, uh, apartments were considered undesirable. So apartments were, quote, smaller and less expensive options and often housed racial minorities. The uh, LGBTQ community, single mothers, low-income families, or other marginalized populations that faced outright discrimination and racism when seeking a place to live. These groups were actually often banned from owning property and had few legal protections as tenants who faced quite a lot of discrimination 
even just trying to find a place to rent. And it turns out that uh, according to this opinion piece anyway, uh, and a book that they reference in the article, the desire to limit apartments was a guise to exclude people who were deemed undesirable uh, or unsuitable to the ideal white, heterosexual, and middle-to-upper-class family. It turns out that um, the uh, there was actually some quite racial language in the official uh, laws, which I'll kind of leave to your imagination. But mm-hmm. uh, into the latter part of the 20th century, and while that law, those uh, language has kind of been toned down, Vancouver has not really done anything to uh, allow areas to be zoned for apartments only uh, with perhaps retail space on the ground floor, which are now considered very safe, uh, livable, desirable places to be. So I thought that was kind of interesting examining, you know, some of these things where we just kind of go, this doesn't make any sense. Why would Vancouver not have more apartments? Now we kind of see that problematic history that uh, led to that. Curious if you guys have any thoughts on this. Well, it's just interesting to um, expand out in this way, right, Grant? Like, we're definitely all the time talking about the housing crises around Canada and in North America and just affordability and all that stuff and where things are headed. But how often do we actually look back and say, oh, well, actually, it stems from A, B, and C. Do you think that there's any room for these bylaws or zoning in general like it has to have served some sort of purpose in the present tense or at least leading up to the present tense for us to be like yeah you know it's more than just oh the system is the system is the system like there has to be some purpose that we're still utilizing um areas like this in real estate and in rental and all of that I mean, to a certain extent, despite the history and knowing how we got to where we got to, Mm -hmm. I do think, I mean, the reality is, you know, we don't want to probably live right next door to, you know, a meat plant or, you know, a factory that, you know, produces items with heavy metals or have a, you know, a preschool, you know, next to a, a prison like there there's obviously some need to restrict what can go where but i don't think that vancouver necessarily handles it as they should in vancouver we have this thing where we have very cheap property taxes i think essentially like very little to nothing mm. compared to the rest of canada and so what happens in vancouver is people homeowners are focused you know, basically exclusively on their property value. So if you want to put up an apartment building and block, you know, their nice view of the sun, heaven forbid we <laughs> put a, a, you know, a daycare on the block. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Yeah. You know, people are really up in arms. So yes, I do think that common sense, some zoning does make sense, but I think that we're doing it for the wrong reasons. I, I always think that, Somebody isn't looking. There are so many bylaws that nobody goes back, looks at. Things become a habit. And unfortunately, as much as that was placed in the 1920s, Grant, I I believe there is a high belief of those things that have gone right on through through the 70s and 80s, 90s. Uh, Well, I don't really, those buildings are all full of 
them kind of oh, people. Oh my gosh, and yes. Yeah. You notice one thing left off the list is there's not even a place for us disabled folks, right? It's not even mentioned as the undesirables. They were just not spoke of, right? Um, it, it's kind of when you see this and you say, okay, well, how do we fix it? Well, if you tried to fix it today, and Grant, you've said it so many times on this show, you know, well, not 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 in my backyard. And it's so awful because the viewpoint would be in some of the other places that, hey, man, yeah, but if you do that, make those affordable apart because we're hearing that magic word affordable. Well, who's <laughs> going to move in? We're not hearing, hey, those high-end condos. Now, we, you and I in, in, in the fence post all know, if you're speaking to it, that, hey, they're going to sell enough property. And this was the big deal here in Ontario. Yeah, okay, you're going to make more housing more and some some affordable housing. But how many um, yeah. well-to-do units are you going to have as well <laughs> that you're building for these people to make their money, the ownership? And you've got to be fair in the system. And yes, of course, I'm not suggesting you don't do that, but let, let's let's be fair. So therefore, you're going to still have that attitude that has permeated this situation since the 1920s, keeping this from happening. And yet when we talk about, well, we need more housing, oh, gee, how can we do that? <laughs> like it's a trick question. And I just don't get that's it. it. That's it. That's that's exactly it. It's an, an odd little house of cards here. You know, this real estate market, uh, everybody kind of has their own uh, motivations that we're, we're pitching for. And uh, unfortunately, they don't always align. Mm -hmm. Sir, do you want to move on to your next piece? We got time to talk about AI. All right. So always. Uh, this is of course. <laughs> always. Yeah. What is AI? Have we talked about it on the show before? <laughs> no, just well, kidding. In the last uh, half hour, have we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this is one of the subjects I'm most conflicted about. Uh, but a, a study from Statistics Canada uh, report suggested that up to 40% of Canadian workers were at high to moderate risk of job transformation due to AI. So, for example, a uh, hospital uh, mentioned that uh, they can actually use a number of AIs to basically plan their shifts. Like they can scrape the weather, the web for weather data to see if there's going to be a snowstorm. That's going to look for uh, events like, you know, marathons, et cetera. They can basically predict like how many people are going to be injured, how many patients are going to, uh, you know, have a mental illness uh, and basically do up the schedule for the shift. Uh, so basically uh, the, the Genesis is that um, you need to learn and accept AI in order to stay in the workforce. And that's what they're saying. That even if it's not going to uh, cause staff to be laid off, uh, somebody who knows how to use AI is going to be more valuable in the workplace than somebody who doesn't, similar to how when calculators you know, came to accounting, people who use calculators are going to be more mm -hmm. valued employees than others. So, yeah, kind of curious in the short time that we have your your thoughts on this. AI oh. is definitely the yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, I I totally agree. Like I've okay. I haven't heard it put so uh, simply and so straightforward. Honestly, like if you yeah, <laughs> yeah, like if you know how to use AI, you're basically you know reducing your time of almost ever, any kind of work. By yeah, so many done. hours, so many hours of the day. So when you think of something like the, you know, medical industry, like you're just, you're cutting down on so much manpower and so much time that's spent on uh, things like, I don't know, admin, right? If you yep. can just use AI properly. What I'd like to see yes. is AI be utilized, Grant, 
but something we've lost because while we're doing things, we never seem to have time to double checking. Yep. They're saying very clearly, oh, yes, so use true. AI, but mm-hmm. double check what AI does. We're cool with that. That's okay. That'll still make my day fast if I Noting get it to do and stuff. Summarizing. But we won't. Yeah, we mm-hmm. won't do it ourselves. The calculator, wow, what a straightforward kind of example yeah. because so many people said, no, 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 you got to use old brain. Never mind that that thing there because of the fear of jobs. Thanks, sir. Got to embrace the new technology. Thanks, yep. folks. Yes, it's in our best interest to do so because it ain't going anywhere. Grant Hardy joins us for headlines Mondays and Wednesdays right here on the program. Coming up next, we speak with the new host of AMI's podcast roundup, Amy Amanti. She joins us, who's going to catch us up on uh, all the latest podcasts on AMI-audio and abroad. Stick around. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. here you may have been living under a rock and be unaware folks so i'm supposed to help you out here okay just just in case i'm not accusing anybody here or suggesting anything but ami's new streaming service ami plus has officially launched the new platform features a swift slick modern look and puts ami original award-winning content at the forefront AMI is fully compatible with assistive technologies, including screen readers and magnifiers, Windows, Apple, and Android platforms and devices. Check it out, ladies and gentlemen, please. Visit amiplus.ca right away and enjoy. Start having fun. And of course, we're always open to more feedback. Kelly McDonald here, host of the program with my co-host, Ramya Muthan. Yeah, well, we on Mondays like to check in um around AMI content, AMI programming initiatives, just, you know, give a little shout out, keep you guys posted on what's going on here at the network. And so today we're talking to the new host of AMI's podcast roundup, Amy Amanti, very familiar voice on the network, of course, but she is now handling all the news and updates and keeping us posted on the latest podcast episodes, seasons, all kind of things related to AMI original pods. So we haven't checked in with you in a while, Amy. How are you? Mm-mm. Good morning, friends. I'm great. Well, I guess it's good afternoon. Yeah. I always forget you're All in the Eastern time. time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we've had yeah, enough. Um, we're, we're chuckling because we have a community reporter coming up from Vancouver. We had just had Grant on from Vancouver. We have Amy, yeah. Amy on. Yeah. All the, this Almost is like the a show. British Columbia connection. Yeah, it's wow. nice. Well, you know, Grant is a friend, so by proxy... Yes. I'm with you in spirit, and I watch you all the time. So, <laughs> Amy, tell us about Podcast Roundup. Um, we've kind of gone through some switches, some changes, and now you're involved. Uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar, first of all, with Podcast Roundup, and what just in general have the changes been? Well, um, Podcast Roundup has a new host, which is me. Nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was uh, really flattered to be asked. Um, I was uh, happy for you know the last couple of years to be doing my own podcast through AMI, which was the Accessing Art with Amy podcast. And then when that podcast came to its natural conclusion, um, I was really delighted to transition into hosting uh, the podcast Roundup, which airs on, on Saturdays and Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And it's really just, um, it's like highlights and uh, a sharing of what's coming, uh, what's been featured during the week or what's coming up in the AMI podcast 
uh, portfolio, so to speak. So we'll share stuff that's, you know, aired on Kelly and Ramya. We'll share stuff that's aired on um, Now with Dave Brown, uh, you know, the uh, Tripping on Air or uh, what Jenny Bovard's doing with Low Vision Moments or maybe even some other uh, disability podcasts from outside of AMI that we might want to feature and, and point people in the direction to. So there's all sorts of things that we might be sharing on the podcast roundup platform. I remember when Ryan D sent us out uh, a message to a bunch of the staff saying, hey, guys, podcast suggestions out there. So looking forward to when, as you guys dabble, as things unfold, you get into that. But when they approached you and said, hey, Amy, sorry, the podcast is ending. However, another opportunity, which we always love to hear, you being in theater, you know, when a show's over, the best thing for you, the best medicine is you, oh, it's gone. We're done now. But I've got another yeah, show yeah. to jump to. That is the best medicine. So in this case, how much involvement did you have at structuring and contributing to the building of the new format, if you want to even call it that? Yeah, you know, they had a really solid structure in place, which I think was great. But I think they also wanted us to sort of find a vibe of our own. So taking the original structure that was in place that um, was developed and had been developed you know, by good strong hands and had a nice flow to it. But Ryan and I and, and Grace have sort of, you know, crafted it a little bit between the three of us to have our own vibe, which has been really kind of nice to find in the first handful of weeks that we've been doing this. And I think perhaps we might continue to still play with that vibe a little bit. I think that's part of the beauty of this platform, which is if we feel like we want to try something, we have a little bit of autonomy to do that. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the three of us working together is going to be a bit of a, a dream team, not to say that the, the former team wasn't, but I think that that's kind of the fun of it is, is that um, you, you have the opportunity to play a little bit in terms of, you know, if something doesn't feel like it's working or you want to just try something and see if it does work, that you have autonomy to do that. So mm -hmm. the, the framework seems to be kind of flexible. It's cool because you are featuring content that is existent, right? Like it already exists mm -hmm. on the podcast and you're bringing snippets of that to the show. So we get previews of different episodes, different personalities uh, and content, just like material is all over the place because we have such a variety of podcasts available on uh, AMI Original. And then you get to react to that comment and give us your own inputs. What part of that is fun for you? Well, it's all really enjoyable to me. Like, so, uh, you know, for me personally, you know, I, I'm catching now with Dave Brown every morning because, well, it's on at 6 a.m. in Vancouver. So it's <laughs> like, it's the thing that my TV is on the first thing in the morning. Um, so uh, it's up while I'm getting dressed and brushing my teeth and doing all that kind of stuff. And I catch the two of you regularly. So often by the time, you know, the clips come to me, I'm like, yeah, I've heard this story already. And I've had time to think about it and marinate on it. Sometimes I even, you know, I'm sending emails to you all or text messages or calling in the listeners line to give my comments or, have, you know, chatted about the daily poll or whatever it is. So I have time to marinate on these things. Uh, and then Ryan and I get to sort of banter about them a little bit. And whether it's a topic that is, you know, quite serious where we get to reflect on it or just good old, you know, fashion, fun and kibitzing, mm. I think, you know, the, the kibitzing is the fun stuff, the reflective stuff and the um, stuff where you really need to contemplate, mm. I think is is the important stuff. Yeah. that um, that you can offer your reflections on 
um, because there's always several sides to every story, right? And so mm -hmm. if it's a conversation, yeah. for example, between Dave and, and a guest, then now, you know, Ryan and I get to contribute to that conversation. And maybe yeah. there's a, a third and fourth side to that. Well, and you get that reflection. And obviously, if you guys are talking about it, there's something there. You worked with Ryan, obviously, when you were doing your podcast. You guys have built up the feedback, getting back and forth. I don't want to leave Grace out of, out of the Dream Team uh, at all. But just on the level of that familiarity, working with Ryan, getting mm. yourself in there to have those discussions off air and on and pick the content, that, that, that chain of, hey, yeah, I already saw this. How, how much... Does it kind of equal in the sense of you saying, hey, I, I think the segment with so-and-so on now was tremendous. Let's use that. Let's use a portion. Um, and Ryan coming to the table, I'm sure Grace kicks in what she, hey, you know, I happen to notice. How does that work, that process? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Ryan does a lot of the combing for episodes uh, or snippets of episodes. If I hear something that I really want to uh, reflect on or comment on, I will, I will uh, forward an email and say, you know what? Uh, this is something that came up and I would really like to share my thoughts on it and we will incorporate it into uh, into our weekly roundup. And so that's been really nice because I feel like I have autonomy to be able to say this is important to me. Um, how can we incorporate this into uh, into the roundup? And sometimes I feel like the roundups have themes and sometimes yes. they don't. Sometimes they're uh, sometimes they're, you know, vastly different topics. Um, and sometimes they're all like, uh, you know, a, a thematic topic. And so depending on what it is we want to share that week or what has been available across all the AMI originals, um, you know, it, it really gives us room to play with the message um, or what direction we might want to point people in if it's uh, like a newly released something um, or something that's timely that's happening, right? There's all mm -hmm. sorts of things that are timely in our world that are happening that you may yeah. just want to draw extra attention to. And so that also there's a certain amount of privilege to be able to craft these episodes that yes. feel relevant to what's happening yep. in some in some cases. Yeah. We get that with the theme thing, right, Rum? Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 exactly. And and day to day, you know, what the show's looking like, et cetera. And I wanted to ask you, how do you choose? How do you work on, I mean, sometimes it's just obvious, right? A new episode where it's going to be featured on Podcast Roundup. But uh, other than that, how do you decide on the um, snippet, like the clips that you're bringing to the table? Do you guys vote? Is someone saying, no, I love this. It's got to come on, period. <laughs> No, I think, um, I mean, I think when it comes to something like a newly released episode, let's say of Low Vision Moments or the season premiere of Tripping on Air, we want to make sure that that those things are um, showcased uh, it, really timely so that there are, are, um, are there for like the release dates, right, in a really timely manner. And then I think, you know, mostly what happens is, you know, Ryan, I think, sort of combs through stuff and goes, Okay, this is you know these this is, these are the offers for the week, and um, really sort of makes the initial pitch, and then you know Grace has offers and I have offers, but mostly I think Ryan's doing the heavy lifting in terms of finding the clips, and the rest of us if we have offers or want to uh, bring things into the fold, um, you know we make space for those kinds of things. So I you know I have to say that the heavy lifting really goes to Ryan. And um, uh, but I, I've always got my ear on what's happening in terms of because, again, I, I usually have listened to all of these things during the week anyways. And so mm -hmm. when something comes up that I really want to push, I push. <laughs> and, there's, and, and, and it's not much of a push. 
right? No, it's, right. It's a great I heard this push, thing, though. and it's like, great, let's do it, right? Yeah. So, And they appreciate that. Everybody, I'm sure, around the table. Amy, as a broadcaster, what has been the hardest thing to make the transition doing your podcast, doing this, uh, or overall as a broadcaster in general with podcast and with Podcast Roundup for you? sure that anything has been hard other than I will just say uh, when I was doing my podcast there was f- much more flexibility in terms of recording schedules uh, right. you know I mean obviously I had a monthly air date that I had to reach but you know in terms of my my guests I had a whole month to be able to choose which date you know worked best for them and worked best for me and we could figure that out with podcast roundup you know we have a, a calendar date and we meet you know every time every every day of the week at the same time uh, which is usually bright and early in the morning for me and in, in vancouver time which is which is fine but it's the same day every you know same morning every day of the week at the same time so i have to build that into my routine which most people would think is great um, except for me, I always feel like, uh oh, what if something comes up and I have to move that? Then I feel like I'm the weakest link. It hasn't happened yet, but it's always been a bit of my insecurities, if I'm honest, because my schedule is like a dartboard where you just throw darts at it and you see where they land, right? Mm. <laughs> that um, I've always been a little insecure about being the one that has to drop the ball because I'm like, oh shoot, a medical thing's come up, or oh shoot, a you know, I have I'm teaching a workshop in another time zone, and that's that you know that comes that comes up from time to time. I have to move this thing, and so my my own insecurities is that I will be the weakest link having to move move you know things that are sort of nailed in the in the calendar. So that's really kind of the hardest thing for me. The rest of it is is beautiful and easy and like lovely. Like working with Grace and Ryan is there's there's like nothing difficult about that at all. <laughs> Of course, there's always adjustments, right? Like when you're working with new teams, new projects, new kinds of workflows. Um, I'm curious if we could just step aside from this for a second to talk about Vocali real quick. Any shout outs yeah. that you're uh, wanting people to know about? Well, I mean, Vocali uh, did a, a massive pivot when we uh, all experienced the pandemic, which was that, you know, because the theaters were dark, we pivoted to an online platform. Um, so every Wednesday night, we do uh, an online arts adventure. We call it our Almost Live series. Uh, and so this Wednesday night coming up, we're, uh, we have an Indigenous artist who's doing a live reading called Bug, um, who's going to be in our space. And these are free online readings uh, or, or, or arts adventures. So sometimes it's a, a, a play that's audio described. Sometimes it's a, a described gallery tour. Sometimes it's a live reading. Sometimes it's a musical. Like we have a whole bunch of things. JJ Hunt, who is a friend of, of AMI and uh, uh, formerly of, well, formerly of the podcast uh, Talk Description to Me, is going to do a whole Day of the Dead a description of the graphics of Day of the Dead <laughs> for Halloween on our platform. Awesome. So like, yeah, so I encourage people to check out Vocali um, if they're interested in coming and checking out our weekly Wednesday night um, online space, because uh, we have folks that join us from all over the world. And it's a lovely, lovely space to be in if you're interested in accessible arts and you just don't have anything in your area or you got nothing to do on a Wednesday night and come and hang out with us. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Amy, it was lovely chatting with you as always. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be in a space with the two of you. Yeah, it is. And uh, we will keep checking out Podcast Roundup. You got it. Podcast Roundup does air Saturdays and Sundays at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and all the repeats according to the schedule every eight hours. And Amy Amanti is the host of Podcast Roundup. It was nice catching up with her.
Another hour of our program, folks. In that particular hour, should people living in democracies be educated on how to deal with disagreement and conflict? Danielle McLaughlin asked this question on Know Your Rights. And on our independent living segment with Leanne Barda, we discuss how we can make Halloween more inclusive and accessible for all. But up next, there's an accessibility community forum webinar on accessible health care taking place later this month. Community reporter, community Carol Yapel, has all details for us after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. We'll welcome you back as we begin the second hour of Kelly and Ramya. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, and wherever you are, thank you. Appreciate the time. You can also check the show out via podcast. Subscribe to the Kelly and Romeo podcast. And while you're in there, if you don't mind, give us a rating and review. Love to hear your comments. Love, though, mainly having you on board with us. Ramya is at the studio in Toronto. I, Kelly McDonald, here at the studio in London, Ontario. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we visit with our committee reporters. What's so cool about the committee reporters, you might ask? Well, first of all, they're all cool people, but the content they bring is first class. Always telling us some things that they're involved in, things that may be going on in their area, something really unique and interesting about uh, where they are. So let's do a check-in as we bring Carol Yapel up from BC, Vancouver News for us. And Carol, we're talking about the fact that we've had three of you from the region in a row on the show. It's called a takeover. Welcome back. Great to be part of the takeover. Thank you. <laughs> I knew that would feel comfortable. And hey, that's all right. We're glad to hear it because all of you are bringing amazing stuff. Um, fall holidays at Mountain View Cemetery, All Souls and Remembrance Day events we've got here. Yes, well, I want to point out from the great takeover that I am wearing my autumn leaf uh, red orange shirt today. Nice. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. That's part of the audio description of, of my program mm -hmm. because the whole town is full of beautiful orange, red, and yellow trees right now. We've had a little bit of rain today, but um, it has been a really beautiful fall season. And Mountain View Cemetery actually is a place, one of my very favorite places in town because of walking. It is a place that is quiet. It has wide paths. There's very few people there that I can bump into. And it is a beautiful spot on top of a mountain. It's called Mountain View. And it's 106 acres. So anyway, at this time of year is an especially beautiful time to go there because they have a festival for all souls. This runs from October 25th to November 1st, just at dusk. And they have candles that are lit and musical tributes. And really, it's an artist-led kind of community event to come together and remember, not in a somber way necessarily, but in a kind of spirited way, um, people who have passed. Mm -hmm. So maybe you know or have heard of All Souls. That's on November 1st. They call it mm -hmm. All Souls Festival. Mm. But All Souls is something that, comes from many different traditions and is celebrated in Mexico as Day of the Dead. I think Amy was just talking about that holiday. Um, but it's also practiced in, in Italy in a particular way. Um, 
it there's um all kinds of things connected to Halloween actually that are connected to um all souls. And so this festival kind of takes the multicultural approach and invites people to come, create their own shrines, write messages maybe to people who have passed on in their lives in a somewhat celebratory uh, group recognition kind of way. So um, it's been going on for 18 years. I've never done it. I'm doing it for the first time this year. And I hope others in the community may come out because it is a beautiful place to be. And it's one of those places, I don't know about you guys, about finding a place to walk where you feel safe. Ooh, oh, yeah. for sure. Well, and I know people, you know, who some people will do that. They'll go to cemeteries because of that exact reason. They're exercised, they're quiet, well, they, they're comfortable with it. A lot of people aren't comfortable with a cemetery for, for the reasons that what it is. And I think that's a, a thing that a lot of us get in our mind. But uh, truly, talk about beauty. Talk about feeling free. And if you, whether you have someone there or not in that cemetery, I think it's that closeness, something like this, where you have artist led. I just love to hear that because you really, there's so many different varieties as artists are allowed to be creative. They're supportive. They open mind, but whatever is there, you will find something that touches you and feel that comfort. My, my parents love the fall. So that would be the kind of walk where I'd feel so close to them, mm. even closer in a cemetery. I always do. But I know it's their time of the year. You know, when you mentioned, Carol, the colors and something I've never been able to see being colorblind, even when I had more vision, it was one of those things that I remember walking with my parents and getting them to describe and tell me the different colors. And some I had somewhat of a concept, but it's just such a wonderful fresh air feeling. Um, and when you couple that on top of the mountain, I'm glad you're taking part. I, I'd love to ask, though, when you come back, Tell us a little bit about how it felt. Right. Anything else we should know about it, too? Well, it goes on nightly between November, uh, sorry, October 25th through November 1st. So there will be shrines that will be present and lit up and they they gather people together. And in fact, I'm glad you brought that up, Kelly, about your feeling about your folks. Apparently, families come with, you know, children and, and they use the opportunity to tell about their parents to their own children. Right. So yeah. it kind of has a really sweet feeling that way. I yeah. think this and whole thing does. I also like does. with children, it keeps them from being, but it introduces you that a cemetery isn't a scary bad place mm. where we say final goodbyes, Rum. Yeah, I missed out Absolutely. on that, right? Like there's, there's so much culturally to this kind of thing, uh, these rituals or this way of connecting with death, uh, with people who have passed. And yeah, it is a beautiful way to bring people, children especially, or like younger people into the conversations and into the spaces, like the literal spaces where we're facing um, death and connecting spiritually. I think that's a lovely way to do it and such a respectful way to do it. Do you want to talk next about this event? It's called I Think I'm Falling, the songs of Joni Mitchell, and it's happening at the Belfry Theatre in Victoria with Vocali audio description. So shout out to Vocali again and uh, tell us more about this. Yes, I was happy to hear Vocali being mentioned again. I just love what they do. And this fall, they have so many different offerings at different theaters. But this one grabbed my attention because I'm a huge fan of the Canadian legend, Joni Mitchell. She's one of my very favorite artists. And this is a show that takes all of its text from the lyrics of her songs, which I really feel are poetry. 
So if anybody out there knows the song like Chelsea Morning or A Case of You or even Big Yellow Taxi, Mm. these are songs that drive the text of this show. There are six performers, as I understand it. It runs from October 31st to November 26th. But on the 19th of November, a matinee at two o'clock, it's a Sunday, they are going to have Vocali do the audio description. So I suppose that will tell the the life story of Joni Mitchell. You know, she had many famous love affairs with James Taylor and Graham Nash and all of these people. And she also was a Canadian from Saskatchewan who traveled the the roads and wrote a lot of beautiful songs about that too, and kind of heart-stopping songs about her self-discovery. So I just hope that this show will be something I don't go to Victoria that often. I'm doing a special trip from Vancouver to see. Yeah, I just uh, am really curious what they do with it. So, um, and tickets, by the way, are on a sliding scale with the lowest being $10. So for the vocal eye thing, um, it, it is approachable. It's really accessible for people. I love when this kind of thing happens with arts events where people are so um, inclusive in all the ways, right? Not just with the features and and add-ons or, you know, other accessibility requirements and considerations, but actually saying, and we understand that accessibility expands beyond this. It's into prices of tickets. It's into space and, uh, you know, how you can get there, et cetera. Uh, do you... Want to say anything about how this show was uniquely created for this theater? Well, I know that the musical director is a fellow called Tobin Stokes, and he had been behind a really interesting musical that he, musical opera that he created with Margaret Atwood some years ago here. So I'm familiar with his music. There Mm -hmm. is also a co-creator who's a director and probably uh, his input is equally um, important. I am not familiar with his work, but it'll be on the notes that are included in the blog, I think, because I included that link. But I I also wanted to just give a shout out as long as I'm on Vocali. They're having a fundraiser on November 4th, and it's a a musical connection. It's Music Bingo, and it's at a wonderful uh, pub downtown Vancouver called Moose's Down Under that's used for a lot of uh, events that I've attended for the community. Anyway, I just wanted to put in a plug for that, too, because Vocali does such a great job in so many different formats, as as Amy was discussing. So mm-hmm. um, that'll be a fun evening. That's great. Carol, we're getting tight on time, but all I'm thinking about is how much Tom Decker, the late Tom Decker, would tell us, you guys, I got to come out here to Victoria, and every time we hear about it, it's wonderful, beautiful things like this. Uh, this item that you've got for us to wrap things up, event, it's a accessibility community webinar uh, on the health, on accessible health. You want to get into this with us? Tell us when for this accessible healthcare information to get out there. Yeah. So this is on October 27th. It's a Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. There's a survey that you can take. The link will be on the blog. And this is one of my pet subjects because I think that medical care for people with low vision and and no sight, you know, how is it that we have to fill out forms in the doctor's office? You know, these should be sent in advance. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So this is a survey to get all of your comments about healthcare out there. And they're going to be presented in a forum with members of the uh, government, 
the BC local uh, government, as well as members of the healthcare community, NGOs, and people who are advocates for accessibility and health. So this is presented by the Connectra Society, part of the Disability Foundation. They do such great work, and I'm looking forward to this event. Awesome. Carol, fantastic. And there's so many things as soon as you just mentioned this kind of accessibility that you think of, like your example, like my example of when they get up and call my name and say, follow me and walk away. Um, there's just little things that would just make experience so, yeah. so much better. Thank you as usual. Great stuff. Great to speak with you. Take care. Carol Yepel, our community reporter in Vancouver, bringing all sorts of wonderful stuff to us. A uh, great segment there. If you missed any of it, check it out via the podcast. Up next, folks, on our independent living segment with Leanne Barda, we discuss how we can make Halloween more inclusive and accessible for all. Stay tuned. Hey there. Thanks for being with us. It's Kelly and Rumya, weekdays 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Our first repeat of the program at 10 p.m. Eastern, and you can find us on AMI-tv at 1 a.m. We're repeated every six hours on AMI-audio, so please check us out when you have the time. I'm at the home studio in London, Ontario. She's in Toronto. And we're going to throw to a conversation that we've had with Leanne Barda because we want to let you in on all the different Halloween excitement things that she's got planned for us. Hi, my name is Leanne Barda, and I'm here to teach you all about independent living skills. Please join me on Kelly and Ramya. It's that time of year where we're bringing up the spooky stuff, Leanne. We have a couple more weeks until Halloween, and so you're here to tell us how to make sure that our Halloween experiences for ourselves, for our kids, for our neighbors and trick-or-treaters can be made uh, accessible and inclusive and still be kept very, very fun. Exactly. So Halloween already in itself is very multi-sensory. So we have the sights, we have the sounds, the smells, oh. the spooky okay. music, so right. many different things that we can incorporate to make it so much more accessible for um, our children with sight loss and for the adults who are participating as well. And uh, one of the big things about Halloween, obviously, is uh, number one on to, that comes to mind is uh, pumpkin carving. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. for anyone who you know has attempted to do this, you know, with those little flimsy tools they send you or um, the ones you can get at uh, the store, they're not the greatest. So you have to find ways of doing it to make it a little bit easier. So one of the things that I found lately is using an ice cream scoop to get the inside parts of the pumpkin. And then that way it thins the walls a little bit and it makes it easier to carve uh, in the end. Um, wow. For people who are not so, you know, sure about using knives and little saws and all these other fun things, um, Again, you know, by thinning out the walls, we can use cookie cutters in different shapes and a rubber mallet to sort of punch out the shapes. And you know, oh, that's get... fun! I think that's yeah. just great because safety is the big thing that we, you know, we'd get into with it as a kid. I remember that was the first time I really picked up a sharp knife was to, to carve a pumpkin, and it's such a great experience. But it could go south very quickly, especially with the you know the giant uh, carving knives and different things. Yeah, so, man, oh, this is yeah. great. Yeah, so something's another alternative to cutting it at all is to using things like, um, you know, painting it with acrylic paint, letting it dry, then adding uh, stencils and, you know, painting within the stencil. Or even uh, now there's tons of different uh, decorative stickers and 
so with eyeballs and snakes and spiders and all these fun things. And even uh, right down to, you know, if we remember Mr. Potato Head, um, yep. you can add pieces like that now. Um, hmm. One of the more recent tricks that I figured out is that if instead of trying to cut around the stem and trying to make that um, stem go back in, which is, you know, a task into itself, <laughs> is to uh, uh, cut out the bottom. How does it come off so easily and you can't necessarily figure out how to put it back on? I don't know. I always thought it was a great handle. Yeah. <laughs> Pull it off yeah. from here. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. No, it never goes back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so instead of dealing with the top, you're going to flip the pumpkin and you're going to cut out the bottom. And that way... Um, you can access it a lot more easily, and your stem stays looking really nice. And um, it makes it easier to put in a light source, whether you're going to use an electric candle or a a little tea light. So, so much simpler to deal with. And then you don't have to worry about shoving your hand inside the pumpkin and you know trying to burn yourself lighting the mm. candle, all those fun things. Um, other options would be to use things like fabric paint uh, to sort of outline shapes, let it dry. And then you can add more tactile elements to it, like uh, gauze bandages for a mummy. You can glue on uh, googly eyes. So like yesterday, um, I went to Michael's and they had these really cool um, googly eyes that look like uh, dragon eyes. So they were like purple and green and they look super cool. So even just adding those kinds of elements, you know, your pumpkin could still be quite outstanding. This is awesome. I love that there's so much more you can do with pumpkins than just carving, and which is traditional. Um, and there's alternates to that, alternatives to that, nonetheless. But there are lots more fun you can have with pumpkins, including roasting pumpkin seeds. But what about some other family fun uh, activities yeah. and options during Halloween? Yeah. So um, you know, the newest trend obviously is uh, slime. Yeah. And so Halloween slime, you can do tons of things. You could add scent to it. You can add little plastic bugs and spiders and little plastic rats and eyeballs. So many different things for for the kids to discover and to find. And uh, you know, this brings up all those early ILS skills with you know using our tray and our measuring and all these other fun things. So it's a fun way to kind of sneak in some some independent living skills um, early on. Um, that's good. The next thing, you know, that's, again, becoming uh, and still popular are the sensory trays. So you can put mm -hmm. things like flour and cinnamon and nutmeg and cinnamon sticks. You can put little mini pumpkins and gourds. Um, you can have scoops and shovels available. Again, like all these really great things you can do to have the kids explore. I like that. Yeah, uh, I love the sense too in there. It's just such like a, a recipe great for promise. your nose. I was going to say oh, it's yeah. also a problem. I'd get hungry. <laughs> I know. Yep. 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 It's and again, strange. you could do uh, make your own Play-Doh. Same thing with fun fall colors and you can hide things in the Play-Doh. So many different ways you can go with it. Um, now, if you want to get eco-friendly with your pumpkin. So once it's done, um, you can actually use it like a planter and then you can put it outside and you can put uh, different things like herbs and, and um, little uh, little fun flowers that will, you know, maybe do better in late fall. So, you know, lots of different options. Oh, great. And really good use of it because we're always saying, what are we going to do with this thing? We can't leave it around. Um, what else on the side of kind of spooky little things that we might be able to do and play yeah. around with that are kind of neat and easy to do? Yeah, so an easy one would be cotton ball ghosts. So taking some cardstock, cutting out some uh, ghost shapes, and then have the kids pull apart the cotton balls and then glue them down to the cardboard. And then you can put some googly eyes if you want to put 
some puff paint to make scars and you know other fun stuff you can do that or you could do um, something with paper towel rolls uh, you can put some gauze and make it look like a mummy and again you can put your eyes and maybe you can get some fake little chains so it looks like uh you know like it was a prisoner or, or just something super spooky um yeah. one thing i've seen lately are these um uh, tactile tic-tac-toe felt um, boards right and yep, yep. they have they have velcro already on them so you can get them you know with in a pumpkin shape and then you can if the board itself isn't outlined enough you again this is where your fabric paint could come into play and then you can add things like you know somebody's going to be the x's the ghosts and somebody could be spiders or you know yeah. whatever yeah black cats so many different ways yeah, I really like this because, as you said earlier, it is already Halloween, one of those more tactile, because I remember creating things like this, including the tactile when, when I was in kindergarten, grade one. Mm -hmm, totally. Also, and just being able to take tabletop games or other things that you already do as families and then just make them Halloween themed, right? It seems mm -hmm. like a very uh, easy oh, yeah. way to implement Halloween fun into what you already do. Familiar. You, mm -hmm. and, and it's great for any any time like Halloween or Christmas or any yeah. of the days, really, you could do it. Yep. Yep. So many choices. And now, one of the newer, like one of the fun things you could do now, we're going to get into a little bit of tasting. So, um, cutting up apples and slices and putting them on a lollipop stick and then dip them in things like caramel sauce or chocolate sauce and then, have, and then having uh, sprinkles available, mini M&Ms, mini chocolate chips, uh, Halloween-themed gummies, so many different things. Mm. Um, or making a pan of brownies and then and once it's cool, you know, you can get like a cool, fun purple icing and then put uh, Halloween sprinkles and eyeball candy eyeballs. So many different ways you can go mm. with it. Yeah, we used to do that with Rice Krispie treats. Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah, true, classic. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Uh, you know, making your own Halloween uh, bag. So you can pick up a, a blank cloth bag from any craft store. Uh, you can get really fun fabric paint, like glow in the dark or sparkly. Um, you know, maybe if you see certain colors better than others, you know, you can make that and then. To uh, make a template, you can use things like wiki sticks, which are like um, a wax uh, string that can be removed, and then you can make different patterns, and it could be really neat. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Um, one of the favorite parts, of course, is going trick-or-treating. What should we keep in mind going out that night? Right. So you want to make sure that you're highly visible when you're going out trick-or-treating. You want to add a glow stick around your cane or around your neck. Uh, for or having things that are reflectors. So if you want to get like an armband that's reflective, just something that drivers will be able to see you. Um, you maybe want to consider a costume that's a little bit more brightly colored, or if you have uh, you know depth perception or field loss, maybe not wearing a mask. So maybe wearing um, makeup instead. Um, you know, there's tons of different cool makeup options now with all the FX makeup that's out there. So you, yes. you can make scars and, you know, all kinds of neat stuff. So um, that's another way of going around it. Now, one of the things that's come out recently is that you should avoid using those colored contacts. Anything mm -hmm. in the eyes or the eye area, like fake eyelashes, because it could irritate and cause uh, some damage to the eye. So we want to really limit anything in, in that kind of uh, 
realm. Yeah. And there's so much more to consider uh, as well, Leanne, right? Like people coming to uh, down their mm -hmm. stairs. If you have stairs or inaccessible pathways during trick-or-treating night, you come down to yeah. the porch or put down a basket of your candies for people who aren't able to come up to you, um, having well-lit driveways and things like that. But we just have a couple yes. minutes left. So do you want to talk about some healthy alternatives to trick-or-treating? Yes. So as you guys know, I really love being in the kitchen. So some things you can do is you can get, um, you can make pizza fingers. So once your pizza is ready, you can cut it in half and then in finger-like strips, and you can add triangular um, pieces of red pepper to make it look like fingernails, um, a veggie tray with dip or hummus at, in a hollowed out mini pumpkin to dip from, and then another really fun thing you could do is uh, something called um, salty bones. So you just take some refrigerated uh, bread dough sticks <laughs> and, and split them on the ends to look like bones. And then you kind of, you can bake and serve. You can put some cheese on it if you, if you really enjoy that. And then you can have a bowl of tomato soup so you can have bones and blood soup. <laughs> I love it. Beautiful. I do too. Any final words, Liam, before we roll out? You know, just make sure, number one, that you're, that you're safe when you go out, you know, no long costumes, that you have really good footwear, that maybe, you know, uh, you could practice the route before you go out so you're a little bit more familiar so that when it's dark and maybe a little bit cloudy that you can still manage while you're out there. Yes, absolutely. And we know that there are a lot more resources as well, right? There's this conversation, but also you can go online and just type in like accessible, inclusive Halloween activities or how to make accessible uh, Halloween accessible in your neighborhood. And there are articles out there. They've been floating around lately um, and around yes. this time of year for the last several years, Leanne. So it's a bigger absolutely. conversation. For sure. Absolutely. And, and and include everybody. Yeah. Have fun. Be open-minded yeah. to different things. Yeah. And be yeah. safe most of all. Yeah. Just know that Halloween's not the same for everybody, right? So, like, even something exactly. as traditional and as well-known as trick-or-treating is such a different experience depending on uh, how you experience it. Leanne, thank you. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I hope you, hope you guys have a happy Halloween, and I'll see you in November. Sounds good. Leanne Barda joins us for Independent Living Chats on the third Monday of every month right here on Kelly and Ramya. We'll step aside for a couple of moments and up next, should people living in democracies be educated in how to deal with disagreement and conflict? Danielle McLaughlin is going to ask that particular question on the other side of the break in two minutes. Settle back in, folks, because we've still got a quarter of the show left to go. So we hope you can hang out with us. Always good conversations here on Kelly and Ramya as we work our way through the Monday edition. Old Faithful, even though we haven't over the last couple of weeks, it's just seemed like we haven't really had too many editions of Old Monday Faithful. But, Ramya, we, we do, we have, and we shall. And let's bring on... Just, uh, Scratch out this old word here. Let's bring on <laughs> one of our faithful with our Know Your Rights segment. Let's, Danielle McLaughlin is here. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. 
there's no way I was getting in trouble even putting that word anywhere near the <laughs> sentence. Not with the person that swims in the lake, that is woes on her her trike, her walks all the time, says Quick save, Kelly, Kelly sitting here as hosting the show. Right. Well, so yeah. there's no way. <laughs> I gotta tell you. I'm old. That's okay. <laughs> I don't mind because I happen to know what the alternative is, and I'm quite happy to be old. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we, we know that mostly what I was getting at is the faithful. You've been very faithful to this show since the very beginning, always bringing stand-up stuff, and we appreciate it, Danielle. Unfortunately, Danielle, there's some of the things, some of the questions, some of the topics you bring that make us kind of don't know or, well, what do I think of that? I... I that's disturbing. I don't know. And uh, right now is a very disturbing time around our world. Yeah, it's it's a very, very difficult time. You know, there are wars happening around the world and there are deep political divisions in our own country as well. Um, and we have to ask, can we talk about what's happening without making things even worse? Yeah. So. Yeah. The you know, reason why this is so interesting, because it's kind of a follow up to what happened on Know Your Rights. Was it last week or a couple of weeks ago? Oh, it, I guess several it was weeks ago. Last week. Yeah, it was a, yeah, okay. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Where you had a planned uh, debate or planned disagreement, you know, and it was very respectful. And you um, kind of portrayed how things could be dealt with if this is how debates were conducted, you know, reasonably. Not the case. Well, all the time. That's right. And and what I'm, you know, what you're referring to is when when my uh, dear friend Noah Mendelson mm -hmm. Aviv from the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and I knew that we disagreed on the uh, a particular topic, and that had to do with freedom of expression with regard specifically to uh, Jordan Peterson and the way that the courts had uh, made a determination about limiting his his expression that it was okay for the um, uh, College of Psychologists to do that. Noah did not like that idea. I, I'm, you know, I, I thought more about it and wasn't quite sure that was the wrong decision. But we did have a rather deep discussion, and that's because we know that there are two things that we can trust. One is our friendship. Um, we, you know, and the other is truth. So we're not arguing about the facts. We agree mm. on the facts. We know what the facts are, but we know that our points of view differ very widely. And in order to have a respectful discussion, there are a few ground rules. And she and I have been disagreeing for so many years. In fact, while we were working together in the same office, we would, you know, come into one another's office and say, okay, what are we going to argue about today? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you knew how to do it right. We, yeah, well, you know, and I think that this is something that people need to learn how to do, because it seems to me that we have a kind of knee-jerk response to disagreement more and more these days, which is, if someone disagrees with me, I hate them. Right. Well, no, you don't have to hate somebody who disagrees with you. In fact, you you can learn something from someone who disagrees with you. And, you know, I... I Noah and I shared a boss whom we disagreed with rather regularly as well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And but we learned a great deal from him. And I, you know, I would find that um, he and I also would have scheduled disagreements. And uh, this was Alan Borovoy, who had been known as Mr. Civil Liberties at, at the time. And 
it wasn't an unusual experience for me to go in with a very strong point of view, uh, you know, a way of explaining what I thought and why I thought that, and then stopping and listening to what he had to say. Mm. I didn't always end up agreeing with him. He did not always end up agreeing with me. And yet I think we both came to a place where we believed we had we were further ahead. Right. Uh, mm. And I think this is something that we really need to teach people living in democracies how to do. There are things well, that you need to it, say. It's interesting, Danielle, because you wonder how much further we go. As you mentioned, a lot of times somebody disagree with you or basically is telling you wrong. Then we start yeah. that twisting into what do you mean? I'm stupid or something? I don't know. Or I'm uninformed or I'm yeah. prejudiced or I'm closed minded. So many things swirl in our head as That's opposed right. to, well, hold on. Maybe your viewpoint, maybe what you do know or what you think, maybe I can say something to make you see it a different way. And unfortunately, a lot of time we take it as a sign of weakness on our part. There's something wrong. If I have to say to you, oh, hey, Danielle, you're right. I'm leaving with my tail tucked. No, you're, you're, yeah. you're leaving mm -hmm. maybe more educated about a subject. Maybe you, when hearing me, have something that's really important that dawns on you or some way you can help me learn about something and not maybe make a drastic error or have an error in judgment if we want to look at it that way. So when you suggest this, that people in democracies should be taking some kind of lessons on or, or finding that way to open our minds enough, uh, when it comes to dealing with conflict and opinions like this, uh, wh where do you think, where would you like to see us? How would you like to see us start that? Well, I think the first thing that we need to say is there should be no ad hominem attacks. And that means you don't get to call people names. Right. You yeah, don't get yep. to tell them they're bad or, right. um, you know, or awful or that you, you know, that you hate them. You don't, it, you're not attacking a person, which is at what ad hominem means. You're attacking an idea. You're attacking a policy. You're attacking something that you believe is wrong in the world. Um, you're attacking a government, for example, point of view. If you say that, and I'm going to use the Israel-Palestine conflict because it is on everybody's mind right now. If you say, I do not like the way this government has behaved, you are not saying that you hate the people who live in that country. Mm. You are not saying that they are bad people. You are saying that the choices that have been made by a government, in your opinion, are wrong, are um, dangerous, and should not have been made, should be changed. That doesn't say that you hate one group of people. That doesn't say that because somebody has a personal belief you think that they are bad. But if you say that anybody who targets young children, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their religion, is doing something that is terrible and is dangerous, I think you'd have a hard, a hard argument against that. I'm not saying that one group has all the cards, that one group has all the morality. I am saying that there are certain values that we have to share. And one of them is that children should be allowed to grow up. Um, if somebody doesn't believe that, I don't think I can have a discussion with them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that it, it, in, in my view, that is such a very basic value that we can't go anywhere 
if we don't share that particular value, you know, mm. that, that children are innocent and that they require food and water uh, and education and shelter. Those are things that we that we have to be able to share. So, you know, how can we then learn how to disagree? Because if you have been watching the media for, you know, more than a moment in the past week and a bit, you will have seen some very serious, horrifying conflict. Mm. And I think we need to be able to talk about it. But I think we need to be able to talk about it without coming to blows. And I'm talking about people in Canada. I think we need to be able to talk about it worldwide so that people can start airing what are our real issues. And we have two extremely aggrieved groups of people. We have two governments. And if you look at Hamas as a government, we can call it a government. Um, and we look at the Israeli government and we can see that both of these governmental bodies are perpetrating horrors on the innocent populations, on, on the civilians. Mm -hmm. I think that at base, we can agree that this should not happen any place in the world. Where we are going to disagree is what to do about it. Right. Where should yep. we go? And I think we can continue that discussion. We can talk about where we disagree as long as we agree to certain uses of language. Now, you know, there have been rallies um, in in Canada and all around the world. Some of them have been pro-Palestinian. Some of them have been pro-Israeli. Um, some of them have just been pro-innocent civilians. Right. Um, rallies are not great places for nuance. So if you want to say, well, I believe this, but I don't believe that, or I'm in favor of this policy, but I really am not in favor of that policy, a rally is a really hard place to do that. Um, and you will see that, for example, waving a flag um, is, you know, it's it's the old waving a red flag in front of a bull. Mm -hmm. When you wave yep. a flag, um, people will automatically interpret that as having a particular meaning. Um, right. You may not have meant and what the, the whole other group because it, it's a collective. It's a That's collective. Right. Yeah. What you're it's suggesting a yes or that no. individual. Yeah it's, yeah, it's far more. There's no individualism. That's right. So it's up to everybody to choose whether or not to attend a rally. And it is up to everybody else to choose whether or not to dispute what that rally appears to be supporting. So, you know, when we in a democratic society support freedom of expression, we are supporting the right of people to say whatever it is that they are saying, they're also running the risk of being misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. um, right. And this is happening around the world. So you get to choose, but you don't get to choose what people think you're saying. So in my view, it is important to allow rallies to give permission. We shouldn't need permission, but we should have the right to stand up and say whatever it is we're saying, we also have that right to say, no, I disagree with what you're saying. Mm. At no point should any of these lead to violence because that is, a, that is not speech, that is action. And we have very strong laws against 
violent action. We're not allowed to do that. And for very good reason. But Danielle, the difficulties is that, well, I think, is that we start with violence and then we try to pull it back and say, oh, but, and how can we... That's not what I meant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. oh, it's gone too far. And, And at that point, you're already, everyone's coming in, you know, armed, right? Like uh, to kind of paint the picture. But if we were to have started from a more diplomatic or from a more, you know, discussion based from a uh, exactly what you're saying, like, let's set the ground rules and have a disagreement or a conversation or a discussion. um, I don't think that we would most often, I don't think that we would get to that point of discussing then violence. But unfortunately, so much of what we know historically up to now and around the world, it starts at a very aggressive place to begin with. Well, there is no question that what has been happening in the Middle East is is all about violence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what you do when people lead with violence, as you have just said, Ramia, is very difficult. Do we escalate that violence? Do we make it worse and worse and worse? Or is there a point at which we say, um, I'm not saying that you win. I'm not saying that you win. I am saying we both have to stop now before more people die. Um, How is that going to work? I'm talking really about what is happening here in Canada and in other democratic countries where the, the, the actual physical violence isn't taking place. But as some people have said, you know, rallies and demonstrations could lead to violence, as some people have, have you know, expressed this very right. strongly. Because, Danielle, and- there's a level of responsibility, whatever you say, whatever I say, we sit here every day talking, there's a level of responsibility that we have to kind of pick the right words, to kind of, you know, give an opinion, give a thought, but also think about how we're saying it. It's okay to be wrong, but it's okay. Yeah. It's it's not okay to intend to mislead, to not care, or the areas that I find where where the violence, where people, whether it's at a protest or a way of dealing with people, how do you teach? You can teach people how to speak, how to be more thoughtful, how to use the correct word. You just can't. It seems in our world, for whatever reason, teach people not to hate, not to be frightened of people or things they don't understand. That turns them into get rid of. Don't want around yeah. harm. Well, one of one of the things, Kelly, that that I have seen on both sides of this particular issue is people referring to the others as being non-human, mm. as saying they're animals. Those people are animals. Those people aren't really human. As soon as we stop recognizing the humanity in other people. We're in a very dangerous space. And I know that you've, you know, you've seen that, for example, with the Holocaust, where the Jews were not referred to as humans. They were referred to as rats, where you see people using language like that. It facilitates violence because we, we have to believe that. You know, if something is is an infestation, then what do we do with infestation? Get rid of it, eradicate Exterminate them, eradicate Mm -hmm. them. We can't use that kind of language. We can't ban that kind of language. But what we can do is make young people particularly alert to its use. If you hear somebody referring to other humans in this way, immediately be aware that that is not valid speech that that is not going to lead us 
to any place where anybody wants to be. So, you know, some people have said what we should really be doing is criminalizing that kind of speech. We should, you know, ensure that people who speak like that uh, go to jail. Well, we know from long experience, not only does that not work, it makes everything far, far worse. Yes. Now, Canada has laws against terrorism. In fact, we have enormous numbers of laws against terrorism. And as Ramia and I talked about a while back, our big problem is how do you define it? Exactly. You know, who's a terrorist? Well, Canada currently has listed entities. It has upwards of 80 different groups that are considered terrorist groups. And as you and I both said, Ramia, the problem with this is, of course, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom Freedom fighter. fighter. Mm -hmm. If we criminalize the acts of groups that are quite arguably performing acts of terror, I don't have much of a problem with that. But around the, uh, the, the support for acts of terror, there are some very difficult to understand laws, which have to do with supporting um, these groups, uh, not just materially or financially, but in other ways that are more confusing. And so the question that I ask is, is law the right tool to use when we're trying to deal with how to speak about something? Um, I don't think it's going to work. And if you take a look, and I have been over the last um, number of days looking at social media posts, what I can tell you is that there is misinformation, disinformation, inflammatory and hateful messaging, as well as unbelievably supportive messaging for people who are suffering. If I were to send a message of support to somebody that one group hates, am am I considered to be a bad person? Mm -hmm. This is incredibly difficult. Now, I know that I have had the wonderful benefit of people reaching out to me, knowing that this is a personally a very difficult time for me. I have also had the benefit of being able to reach out to people on both sides of this issue and saying, are you okay? Is your family okay? Can you tell me if there's anything we can do um, to to help? These are personal messages and they make a difference. They, what they say is, I know we may not agree politically. I know we may not agree with policy, but I really care about you and I care about your family and I want to make sure that you're safe. If we can't start there, I don't know where to start. And it takes just inside your heart, the belief. If you don't have it in you, don't don't say anything. Just don't hurt anyone. Don't go out of your way. Danielle, as usual, thank you a lot to think about. Thanks for kind of, especially over the last nine days, it's just been been terrible. So thank you. It's been terrible. Thank you very much, Kelly and Ramya. Join us for Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin every Monday on the program. We'll wrap up our show as we step aside for a couple of moments, ladies and gentlemen. Please come on back. We'll tell you what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown, our closing moment, and preview our program.
Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the program. Check out the podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Always appreciate your time, no matter how you consume the show, whether it's live from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern or one of the repeats. While you're in there, if you check out the podcast, maybe give us a rating and review. You can find the show in segment form or the complete show. Now with Dave Brown also put out there, you might want to subscribe to those folks as well. Their show on our mornings here on AMI-tv. Uh, you can find them at 9 a.m. Rum, what's their show look like tomorrow? It's looking good. So paracanoeur Brianna Hensey is featured in the new season of Level Playing Field, and Alex Smythe is going to share his one-on-one -on -one interview that he's uh, had with her. Looking forward to what we learned there. Also, community reporter Dorothy McNaughton is telling us about the CNIB's Clearing Our Path program. And there's another edition of the weekly news quiz that they have every Tuesday. And guess who's guesting and contestant? Don't laugh too loud because they'll pick you next. <laughs> Brock Richardson's going to be on there. And please do not pick me next um but yeah brocky good luck all the best to you It'd be great to have you and brock on there at the that's same not, time that's not that's <laughs> not the right idea let's here, do please. That. well you're in the quizzes let's get back going <laughs> no, guys I mean, news quizzes on here on this show <laughs> you must have an in with grant to make anyway closing <laughs> moment ladies and gentlemen i want to get to this because you out there you like cake we love cake here on this program so someone bought a cake at the bakery, but a kid behind him in line wanted this cake. Now, this guy got a call from his pregnant wife saying, I'd like some cake. And he's, oh, yeah, I could do that. So he runs to the bakery. However, the bakery was uh, about to close, close at 6 o'clock. Swiss roll, one sitting there, and he thought, oh, I'll get that for her. It's uh, sliced up there and ready to go. Or, you know, one slice of it, by the way. Excuse me. Let me rephrase that. One slice sitting there. As he was selecting some other bread, a lady came in with her daughter, and the child saw this Swiss roll and said, oh, I want that, Mom, I want that. So he had already ordered it. The worker had taken it out and got it ready. The child started crying. The mother said, could you, would you mind giving up that piece of cake for my child? Well, no, actually, my wife kind of, you know, I'd like to get it, take at home, ah, kids screaming, and they're all. And the, of course, the staff member did say, Well, hold on, he did actually order it already, and we had it waiting here for him. Okay, the woman apparently, before that was said, had got quite demanding. Ms. Amuthan, your sensitivities. No, I Are have you no sensitivities towards the mother and this kid. This sounds like a temper <laughs> tantrum and a parenting problem that is not my business, okay? Uh, that's my cake. I ordered it. Please find another I cake. I've got my cake, and I'm eating it too. Yeah, what the um, heck? Is this We're talking about commitments here. My pregnant wife at home is expecting this cake. I've already told her, yes, of course. I've got it here for you, honey. Yeah, it. no, 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 no. No screaming kid is going to take this cake away from me. So unfortunately, the viewpoint, it sounds like that this child needs to learn, man, you can't have everything. Yeah. That's just not the way it's going to be. Would you split the piece? No, because, again, it's not my cake. You know, initially when we talked about this, originally I was like, cool. yeah, I'll split my cake with this kid, but not anymore. Sorry, now that I have details on this just is a temper tantrum. In other words, that translates to her stomach is rumbling. It's getting closer to dinner. My wife's. Thanks, folks. <laughs> we'll talk to you tomorrow. Coming up on the next edition of our program, there'll be no cake eating, no screaming children. Don't worry about it. What are some signs and symptoms of dementia, and can we minimize our risks of getting it? Francis Wong lets us know on our wellness chat. Corinne Van Dusen is joining us for Voices. Sports Talk is amidst us, I'm sure. Don't be so sure of yourself. Anyway, we're waving at you. Good night. As they're doing some workout back, I'm hearing bangs, and I got thinking, what is the scariest sound when I'm traveling as a blind person that I've run into? You know, recycling containers being picked up, construction work, loud music, 
from stores. And and when I say scary, I mean, I should probably really rephrase that and say the most distracting. Scary? Yeah, I think we all know. That's screeching tires right next to you or when you're trying to cross a street, something crazy happening at that point, a car accident. I've had that happen where I've been crossing a street and a car accident has, has occurred. Um, and boy, uh, you want to see someone who's tick, 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 with their cane go to suddenly second gear tick, 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 to get across the intersection. That was me. Um, and I'm not sure I know what that is. I mean, I've been startled walking, especially in Toronto where the subway is. And, and when I first started to go there years ago as a teenager to do theater stuff, I remember walking along and stepping on grates and underneath would be a subway or at least the air shaft. I guess, bringing air down there, the ventilation to that subway tunnel or station. And man, I recall being so frightened suddenly, not sure, hey, am I falling? (laughs) Or is air blowing up? Feels like it's blowing up. But all those determinations while you're on a sidewalk with traffic and horns and people all around you, multiple noises, and suddenly you're getting that. So I probably would say scary on that level, uh, surprising, I think that is the thing walking in cities, but I'm sure in any small place, country road, you'll have those things that you can point to out there and you're thinking to yourself now, no, what about this? What about, and boy, those stories are endless. At this point, I have to say, my jury is still out on what that frightening, distracting, unwelcome noise and experience might be. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.